0: Segment of my reality Here we talk about the true stuff that makes this big old world seem made up. I'm your first co-host Jeremy Bales. I'm your other co-host Jason Wright. So Jason, I uh, something happened today. Actually, oh yeah? Right before we started recording. Um, eventful day. It in was. In the eyes of Jeremy was. Bales. Yeah, probably no one else, but that's okay. So we have a pest. Well, some people see them as pests. We saw them as Basically, neighborhood pets. We had some groundhogs around, and uh, unfortunately enough, they were eating plants and flowers. So, um, some family told me to get rid of it, and I said no. Let those. We called them chunkuses. They were chunky boys. <laughs> you're like,
1: you're like the old, uh, the old lady who feeds the neighborhood stray cat, and everybody's like, we need to get these stray cats out of here, and you're like, no, no, no. <laughs> this groundhog is going to continue to munch your petunias. Right. You're gonna like it. The only issue is
0: that I didn't actively feed it. People who wanted to do some horticulture when, were the ones that were feeding it. So I was just a, a passerby an observer
1: of the chunk <laughs> Sitting on the back of your porch like, ooh, yeah, munch those petunias. Get after it. You deserve it. Uh, Seems like a good hobby. Yeah, it was a good time.
0: Until we went and visited some family and unbeknownst to them, not that we informed them of this, we were offered a pellet gun. <laughs> to, no. uh, They said, "Hey, you don't. We can't use this around us. So, you know, take it if you would like. Um, not sure if you had any pests." And um, my my poor chunkus is flashed before my eyes. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we took it back, and uh, that was yesterday. Today, as we were finishing up dinner, some family pointed out that there was indeed a chunkus outside. So they said, "Jeremy." Go get that rifle. Do what that rifle's supposed to do and, and take care of the pest. So I said, I'm not sure if I'm strong enough. So I looked to my wife, Honey, I'm sorry. We have to do it. Have to take out the chunkuses for the good of the flowers. So that's what I did. <laughs> <laughs> and I I almost compared it to um, you know, having to put down that old sickly pup just not not quite what he used to be, getting around's a real pain. If, it's it's kind of it like that. If it was it's, healthy and fine, yeah, <laughs> and, exactly, and
1: just the worst way to do it. Your family's like, man, anybody could go get that rifle right now and take care of of this what we deem a pest. But you know what? The one person that likes it the most. How about we pick him and he yeah, it's has a to it. <laughs> Yeah.
0: So that was i uh, got my heart running quick before we started recording. And uh, my mother actually said, hey, how many pellets uh, does that gun, can you shoot it at one time? I said, it's just a single load, like most of them are. I, said, huh. I was thinking you could take out some of the starling birds who are pests. So I was like, hold on, <laughs> hold on. It's like, calm your mom, down. Your mom's got uh, bloodlust in the eyes. She is, she is looking to, uh, to take care not only of the um, ground-based pests, I suppose, I'm not sure how good of a shot she thinks that I am. Well,
1: maybe she's trying to turn you into a serial killer or something. Because, I mean, Who this did? is uh, this sounds like the startings of a Jeffrey Dahmer story. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> because of a groundhog. <laughs> oh Except you going out on your own volition to go you take care of animals. Uh, um, yeah. you're, you're coerced by your mother to do it. <laughs> She's the brains of the
0: operation. (laughs) Yeah, man. It was a wild wild evening. We had just sat down for a lovely dinner and then bang, (laughs) everything (laughs) changed. Started to get that thousand-yard stare in my eyes. (laughs) Oh, man. So I'm I'm also going to take point on this week as well, Jason. And one of your stories actually inspired me. Um, So you'll see a little bit of similarities between this one and one we've heard before. However, the overarching uh, I guess gist of my story is that in 2004 a Japanese television equipment manufacturer sold their corporate art collection and you might say hey that doesn't sound too impressive, doesn't sound too out of, there, out of this world um, but when I tell you I had a Cezanne, a Picasso, and a Van Gogh all worth cumulatively more than $20 million. I think robbery. You think maybe. (laughs) The acquisition is not what we're going to highlight. I'm not going to say that they're Yakuza or not. Who's to say? (laughs) It isn't me. It isn't me. So that's what it is. So in 2004, it came time that this television company or television equipment manufacturer um, was going to auction off or give, sell their selection of Impressionist paintings to one of two world-class auctioneers. Um, One of them being Christie's, and one of them being SoftBee's. Uh, They have longer, fuller names, but that's what I'm going to refer to them as. Now, the guy who was the president of the company, his name was Takashi Hashiyama. He was the man who was in charge of collecting these pieces, and um, he conducted the interviews for these two auctioneers because they were sort of neck and neck. He wanted to see how they were going to um, treat the paintings, specifically the Cezanne, which was worth the bulk of the value at $16 million. Wow. Yeah. I also was wondering about the acquisition. I didn't get into that because that's not where the fun part of the story lies, Maybe that will be uh, a later episode of, hey, hear about how this television manufacturer stole
1: so many things." Well, I think if you did enough research in in uh, investigated journalism to figure mm-hmm. out how they got that, the Yakuza might just show up at your doorstep.
0: Yeah, best not to dig too deep. Yes, yeah, we'll just leave it where it's at.
1: <laughs>
0: so, Jason, among some of the questions on um, how they would treat this, you know, exceptional collection of art what do you think some of the questions would be um from from the president
1: um how much money right sure um i mean where'd you get this <laughs> i mean that would be my first one um now would one of the questions be jason
0: right um rock paper or scissors <laughs> i mean
1: i mean if I think the other guy would bite and I wouldn't have to pay like $6 million for it or $16 million. Uh I mean, I might try to be like a rock, paper, scissors, maybe. Well, in a sense, that's
0: what he did. Not necessarily for the entirety of the um, collection, but what he did is because the, the two auctioneer locations, Christie's and Sotheby's were so sort of neck and neck during the interview process with uh, Hashiyama, He invited them to a formal rock-paper-scissors competition (laughs) to see who would have the honor of
1: being the the company that was to uh, auction off this collection. Okay. In a formal game of Uh rock-paper-scissors, do you kind of hold one hand out and slap your other one in a fist on top three times, declaring rock-paper-scissors and doing the gesture, or... Do you have a screen between you with mm. a table with three clots all over top of a piece of paper, a rock, and a scissor? You reveal your choice. The curtain lifts. That seems much <laughs> more formal to me than the old hand slap. Well, you're you're a
0: little bit closer with the second one. So what he had him do, and uh, a fun quote that I found uh, from Mr. Hashiyama... Um, after people questioned his, his methods, he said, it probably looks strange. He says, he said, quote, it probably looks strange to others, but I believe this is the best way to decide between two good things, which are equally good. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, it also mentioned that uh, the game in Japan is something of a, uh, a cultural thing. So it's often used to make, quote, Arbitrary decisions, which I thought was interesting wording because I
1: don't know if this would be quite classified as arbitrary. Yeah, I was going to say maybe it's used to solve disputes between 12 year olds, but not between (laughs) $16 million uh, art gallery paintings.
0: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm.
1: So each of the
0: companies selected a representative and (laughs) they said that both companies did extensive. Uh, research into the psychology behind rock, paper, scissors, including, uh, it was somebody from Christie's read a 208 page book titled the official rock, paper, scissors strategy guide. (laughs) (laughs) So what Mr. Hashiyama did is instead of making the symbols with their hands, which is traditional, he said they would both come to his office. He wouldn't be there. They would write down their choice of rock, paper, scissors, in Japanese on a piece of paper and then both pieces of paper would be taken evaluated and the results would be read out which i think allows for a little bit of muddying of the waters depending on who is taking the papers if they are read uh, openly if they are shown to each other it's if one on. gets taken in transit and read and then the right, other then right. swapped out yeah so any guesses? I mean, it's it's a heads or tails for you as to who put out what. Do you think? I guess what was the the combo you think is most common?
1: I think it was rock, rock, Ooh. and they had to do it again. Incorrect. Care to go again?
0: What do you think is the winning symbol that won over twenty million, or the honor to auction off twenty million
1: in impressionist art? I mean, I would hope it's paper beats rock because paper painting you know, kind of goes hand in hand. So, I, I'm going to go paper is the winning choice. <laughs> Incorrect. <sir. laughs> great, great. I would yep. have definitely lost. You would have. You know, paper paper's the
0: safe option, I would say. You know, it's it's not too bold. I think scissors is probably chosen most often. Sotheby's chose paper, but uh, it came out to be that Christie's was, was triumphant over the paper. So, they, they got to auction off the Saison, the... Um, the van gogh and the picasso
1: all because of a game of rock paper scissors yeah and you know i think i think i have the ultimate strategy for this i don't know if this was in their book or not but Mm -hmm. this is a lengthy operation it takes a little bit of infiltration you need to figure out who's going to be writing down rock paper scissors for the other people right okay you need to stalk them for a couple days see what their routine's like Okay. And you need to plant things around their life t- <laughs> to make... Subliminal to make, messaging. <laughs> yes. To make them think maybe rock. And you mm. kind of all throughout their life for the days leading up. Mm. And then, you know, they're going to go rock. You're going to go paper. Bada boom, bada bing. Paintings are easy. yours. Too easy. easy.
0: Well, that would have been a great strategy, but it <laughs> was not the execution seems like the more aggressive scissors is what took it and Jason do you think you'd always go with paper as a as a, in a high stakes game or are you more of a guy who would size up first and then you know make the call like a game-time decision?
1: I think it's more game-time decision if I'm not able to trick these people into uh, picking if whichever you one I want you them can't to. Mold I can't mold their minds like clay. <laughs> I mean, I, I would have to be a game-time decision. What's near me? Is it a rock? Is it a paper? Mm, okay. Do you do you ever have a strategy aside from sort of gut instinct, or is it just a go-ahead a one to knock it out it's just a one to knock it out i think i think if you put too much thought into it you're going to psych yourself out you're going to go to throw scissors come back to paper uh, who knows what you're doing then and you get disqualified and you know you can't <laughs> yeah. second guess yourself in a game of rock paper scissors well you can
0: when it's worth 20 million <laughs> <laughs> yep and the final uh piece i'm going to leave you with is mr hashiyama said he was not selling because he needs the money, instead, he wants to turn his focus to ceramics. He said it was just a hobby that he was referring to the art. Now he <laughs> wants to focus on a new one.
1: <laughs> so, from rock, paper, scissors to a more um, maybe publicly acceptable uh, business. What are you trying to say? Cocaine, the cocaine oh, business, <laughs> the business that everybody's willing to uh, take part in—a little sniff, mm-hmm. sniff. Yep. Um, cocaine is seen as kind of just a drug now, right? Yeah, kind um, of taboo, I would still say, but sure. Yeah, but but it's but it's a drug. Everybody knows what it is. We don't pretend it's anything. It's not. But back in the 1860s. Cocaine wasn't just a drug. It was kind of being tinkered with. Like, what can we do with this? Can we use it as medicine? Can we bake with it? Can we get high
0: as mess?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, there's a man in France, a chemist, named Anglo Mariani. Okay. And Anglo Mariani decided he would take cocaine, specifically the the coca leaf from the coca plant that's used to make cocaine and infuse it into a wine. Interesting. (laughs) So, by
0: definition, is cocaine an upper? I would think so, right? He's at at the core trying to just get a net neutral missing...
1: Yeah. Yeah, uppers plus downers equals probably fine. (laughs) So... He names this wine Vin Mariani, a very creative guy. Mm-hmm. Um, so how he made this was he would take several coca leaves, put it in his wine while he's making it, and boom, here it is. He's not the only person to do this. Some people over in the United States were doing it at the same time. But what separated his was instead of using six milligrams of cocaine per ounce of wine he bumped yep. it up to 7.2 milligrams now that
0: doesn't seem like a, a, a massive change but when you're talking about something like
1: cocaine <laughs> that might be more impactful <laughs> and when you're talking about per ounce of liquid i mean right you know, a bottle of wine may, maybe has i don't know 24 th- 36 ounces i think a
0: glass is typically served in four ounce measurements so you're going from 24 to 28
1: yeah so yeah yeah so you get a good bit of cocaine and actually doing this changes like the chemical makeup of the cocaine so in south america people would chew the coca leaf to uh kind of get a buzz and then from there it got turned into cocaine. Well, it's kind of different when you ferment it in the wine. The ethanol from the wine kind of extracts the cocaine from the coca leaf in a different way. Okay. Um, to kind of make a new new substance that it is said to be like a more upper, different kind of high that it would give you. But it would nonetheless make you very very high. Yeah. Yeah. I figured it would. And. He pitched this wine as kind of a medicinal wine that would give you good health, strength, energy, and vitality.
0: Good health, no. Strength, yes, maybe. Uh, vitality. And what was the
1: other one? <laughs> uh, energy. Yep. Do. <laughs> <laughs> I think he's mostly telling the truth there. Maybe not the health, and it's not really medicine. But if he's just saying it's going to give you energy and make you feel good. I yep. Mean, <laughs> put yourself back in the in 1860s and there's this magical liquid that somebody puts in front of you and they say it's made from a coca plant i mean that's the closest thing i think you can come to to magic (laughs) if somebody when you knew nothing about like drugs were nowhere near on the scale that they are now and the like, variety and different things if, if nobody's ever heard of this before and they sit <laughs> in front of you and drink it it's like this is magic right like if you did realize it now, the
0: potion of vitality
1: <laughs> exactly if you did it now somebody would drink that and they'd get busted like oh man that guy just gave me drugs but back <laughs> then you would be able to believe that it was magic because that's what i would believe yeah i mean i Wine is typically,
0: um, what, like a sleepy drink, right? Like, you typically have it mellowed out. It's not like a big party mm-hmm. thing. I mean, obviously, it can be used however you want to, but... Now,
1: sprinkle a little cocaine in Right, there. that's kind of... I, mean, I'm,
0: <laughs> I'm, I'm, I don't want to try this personally. I kind of want to watch it, though.
1: <laughs> so, if you're selling this wine, yeah. what do you think the best way to sell it is? To kind of get it out there, advertise it. Um you'll you'll fly or at least you'll think you
0: will uh (laughs) it'll be here lies here lies the vitality potion you'll feel amazing until you don't (laughs)
1: he he didn't quite go the slogan route he went more the celebrity publicity route and what when did you say this was in the 1860s 1860s okay what celeb did he go with he got a variety of celebrities it's said that he got up to 4000 different claims or testimonies about his beverage um some of the top people that endorsed it was uh pope leo pope saint pius
0: okay noticing a quick pattern there go ahead um
1: yeah two popes thomas
0: edison oh it's all coming together oh gosh <laughs>
1: ulysses s grant i mean some big name historic people vouched for this
0: beverage so they didn't just vouch for the guy they presumably tried it
1: and were like yeah this is this is the stuff i mean yeah thomas edison vouched that it helped him stay awake longer i believe him Um, grant said he was drinking it when he was writing his memories later in life do you think (laughs) not not only are they saying they drank it but they're saying it helped them i might sound crazy jason is cocaine not that bad
0: (laughs) i mean uh, what's uh what's the secret juice here is is this this is the question people want to know jason is this what's in michael's secret stuff it's just straight cocaine
1: (laughs) you know what it might be i mean the movie only covers a what, a couple of weeks, maybe a month, if it's cocaine in Space Jam's game here at Uh the end, maybe if we saw the next month, we would see the side effects of all the Looney Tunes on cocaine. I think we do. We see see
0: Tasmanian Devil. He's been on the secret
1: stuff for
0: years.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So he gets all these people kind of promoting his, his drink, right? So eventually some people start mimicking what he's doing, particularly John S. Pemberton. Okay. I mean, I didn't know what he did before, but he made Coca-Wine. And then Prohibition came, and he made Coca-Cola. Ba, ba, ba. <laughs> so this whole Coca-Wine adventure kind of... It paved the way. Paved the way. For Coca-Cola,
0: who
1: eventually didn't you put cocaine in their drink anymore? I am I am blown away. <laughs> so you'd think, well, this guy made a life of selling drugs when people really didn't know what drugs were. This what this drug was. Where did this go? Well, he didn't tell anybody in his family how to make it, and he died, and so did the recipe with him. Rip. <laughs>
0: <laughs> doesn't seem like it's that hard to recreate if i'm being perfectly honest
1: well i don't think it is in 2014 one of his uh um ancestors relaunched the brand yep. and and they're re- relaunching it in bolivia so i did a little looking it looks like you might be able in certain places in the world to buy cocoa wine i'm not sure if it still has the same effect that it did before God willing, and the creek don't rise. I'll uh, I'll see you in Bolivia, Jason, and I will let you know. <laughs> I mean, if you could turn into a Thomas Edison type guy from drinking coca wine, we might have to move out. There. Worth it. Worth <laughs> it.
0: His brain was just functioning on another level. Is the big thing. He because said, of
1: cocaine. <laughs> Cocaine's a hell of a drug. You heard it here. Without cocaine, there's no electricity. That's it for this week's episode.
0: If you enjoyed the show, please leave a review as it helps other people find us and helps us out a bunch. If you're interested in contacting us with one of your stories or you want to hear us talk about something that you know that we might not, you can reach us at Fig of My Reality on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And our email is figmentofmyreality at gmail.com. Here's up with that fact. This week's piece of reality is uh, Mike Tyson once offered a zoo attendant. $10,000 to let him fight a gorilla. Unfortunately enough for the world, the attendant said no. <laughs> I'm Jeremy Bales.
1: I'm Jason Ray. Talk to you next week.